Jude, we're going to look at uh, verses 3 and 4 tonight with a little bit of thought ahead, introducing. But let's let's read the first four verses of uh, Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Uh, So we see what uh, Jude wanted to write about. Who doesn't want to write about our common salvation? But there was some necessity, uh, something he was compelled to write uh, about these uh, certain people who crept in. Uh, if we think about what's going on in the church, this is, you know, probably the mid-60s. This is 30 years after Christ is gone or so. Uh, second generation, next generation. Uh, and so he's, they're contending for the faith. They're having to fight for the truth. And as we see as we go through Jude, it's the false teachers coming and teaching the wrong thing. Uh, it, it makes me think about uh, what's gone on in our culture, in our society. Um, uh, I was, the, the commentary, I'm, one of the commentaries I'm looking at is a contemporary commentary. It's written not too long ago. And he's talking about the postmodernism and how it's affected the culture in both England and here, I believe he's a, a Brit, uh, and how postmodernism has affected us, not as people, plus as Christians. When when you think about postmodernism, we don't they don't talk about it anymore. It was talked about about 20 years ago when it came in, or maybe 30 years ago, and. Uh, we all said it was bad, and now we don't talk about it anymore because it's permeated us. It's just there. It's the, it's the air we breathe. It's the water uh, <laughs> that is the water that we drink. Uh, it's it, uh, just some characteristics of it. Uh, objective truth is denied. There's no objective truth, right? Uh, no foundation for determining uh, what's true as a society collectively. They're not, not, not Christians, but I'm talking about as a society. Uh, there's fewer and fewer certainties that uh, uh, we can uh, unite together over. Uh, and the most important question is no longer is it true, but do I like it? That's a big change, isn't it? Truth 
is not a question. Truth is archaic. Uh, we're kind of dinosaurs in how it is that we live our lives based on a, an objective set of uh, truth claims and values, and, and, and that's where we stand, and that has really affected the church and its role in society. Um, no one world view can, can explain life, essentially any worldview you want to hold, because do I, do I like it? Well, any worldview you hold to can be uh, just as valid as another one. And what we've seen played out pretty recently is um, the individual is replaced by a community, by community. Uh, and, and without using all the buzzwords, it's we're identified now by uh, what race we are, what gender we are, um, our age. We have, uh, I don't know where we are. I, I know I was a baby boomer. I don't know what the rest, but we had Gen X and Gen Z, and now we have, what is it, millennials? And it's, that's your identification. It's not who you are. It's who we are together. We, we uh, baby boomers, and people think, you know, we're the ones who are in the hospital. We're the ones that are keeping the doctors going. We're the ones that... Uh, <laughs> All of those things, you know. Um, but we're identified by our affiliations, uh, progressive, traditional, any things like that. And then just a bit, a kind of deconstructing the past. Uh, you know, in, in what's called modernism, we're, this is postmodernism, modernism, the writers, the artists, um, they had shaping influence on to give meaning to uh, our shared va our shared values and experiences, uh, and that in postmodernism is shifted from the writer to the reader, and it doesn't really matter what the writer intended and what the writer meant. It's uh, that's unimportant. The crucial question is. What does it mean to me? You know, it, 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 the there's no historical context. It's all contemporary context. Well, it, it made me remember about an apologetics course I took uh, early 90s, maybe late 80s, early 90s, that was uh, uh, began talking about the Cultural Revolution that happened in the 60s and the 70s and how things just turned upside down, uh, where we became a kind of a secular, secularization kind of uh, kicked in. Uh, how would we define culture? Do we care? Do we need to define culture? The sociologists will say there was a cultural revolution in the 60s, 70s, working in this. This was a study that uh, in the 80s where uh, there were three things that happened through that culture. Let, let me give you a definition. Does anybody have a good definition? Well, culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, 
All right, the conduct of a group. Yeah. Society norms, societal norms. Yeah. The mores, the uh, the values, the ethics. What's right? Here's a definition. This is a, a working definition. It's the effort to provide a coherent set of answers to the situations that confront us in the passage of our lives, our shared experiences, the shared experiences of a people, a culture, a group, a community, whatever you want to say. And how do we get, how, how, where does, how do we come together with a coherent set of answers? See, there's something built in. There's, there's a presupposition here that life needs to be coherent. Postmodernism doesn't need to be. Why you say it's got to be coherent? There's nothing that's true. You have to have some truth to get a coherent set of answers. Uh, and then here's a cultural revolution where uh, culture, uh, there's a decisive break with the shared meanings of the past. Particularly those that relate to the deepest questions of purpose and nature of life and things like that. And so in 60s, 70s, some of you were not there, but some of you have lived through these last 25 years. And I would say there's been a cultural revolution in the last, well, I mean, there's been a huge change in our culture in the last five years, right? I mean, uh, but go back 20 years and there's been almost a second cultural revolution uh, that we've gone even farther away from uh, Truth with norms, with standards. Uh, secularization uh, of our uh, culture where religious, and I'm just using some quotes. I believe this was Oz Guinness. If you know Oz Guinness, he's a think tank guy. He's, he's a Christian. I mentioned him before. Uh, here's what he says about secularization. Religious ideas, institutions, and interpretations have lost their social significance. So we become secular. Uh, religion, uh, Christianity, of course, uh, is no longer socially significant. So there's this break. Um, and so then with no um, standard for truth, well, then what happens is people lose their sense of shame because there's no definition of what sin is. Like the, like the, uh, what's that? Nothing to be shameful of. Nothing to be shameful of. I mean, there's a sense in which, uh, I think Charlie, uh, did, he didn't say it, did. culture kind of defines the values, the, the life of, uh, uh, of a community of folks. And if the culture loses anything, uh, any truth, well, then there's no sense of shame. So, you know, we could, and what we abortion comes up, and it's no problem because it's a choice, it's, it's freedom of choice, you know. It, it's uh, uh, marriage is whatever the, the, the uh, shapers of culture determine it to be. 
then it was one thing. Now it's even continuing to go even farther into defining marriage however we want to. Um, plural, pluralism, you know, competing worldviews where uh, none of them are dominant. Up until the Cultural Revolution when I was young, uh, really Christianity was sort of the dominant I mean, it was the underlying cultural uh, milieu, wasn't it? I mean, just there was a foundation for the first couple of hundred years as a nation. And, and that's been undermined by this. Uh, and so there's a loss of a sense of reason. If, if uh, you take uh, any worldview you want to take, any view of life that you want to take, and they're all equal and just as valid, well, then there's no, no way to live reasonably. You know, you, Amy can believe what she wants to believe, and I can believe what I want to believe. And if Amy and I spend very much time together, that's not going to work very well. Right? We're going to bump into each other because uh, uh, two contradictory things can't be right. You're not going to let me say something like if Warner asks me, what are you doing tomorrow? And I say, I got nothing on my schedule. My calendar's blank. And then Andy asks me, what are you doing tomorrow? Well, I have a nine o'clock meeting and then I have lunch and then I have a three o'clock meeting. You're going to say, wait a minute, that can't both be true. Can't live. You can't live that way. And that's what's happened. Uh, we've lost a sense of reason. How do we talk to someone who's happy with living with contradictory thoughts? How do we, how do we evangelize? How do we contend for the faith if someone is pluralistic in their thinking? Well, that's just what you believe. Or if they're secular, you know, how do we talk to someone who... Uh, has no shame about sin. You say, we say, well, the Bible says you're going to hell if you don't repent of your sins. That's just what you, that's just what you think. How do we talk with these folks? How do we contend for the faith in this kind of a uh, atmosphere? Uh, so anyway, Judas is contending for, he's calling them to contend for the faith. Uh, we, live our faith based on God's word, of course, and we're just odd people. We're peculiar, yes, but not in the way that God sees us as a peculiar, treasured people. We're just odd. We're archaic. We're, we're just out of date, uh, unexciting. How boring can a life be that you live if you, if, if you live in a culture that is uh, working to please itself all the time. Uh, and so Jude is concerned, if we're not careful, that we're going to be unwary of the attack that comes from without or from within. In particular, Jude's people have, uh, Jews false teachers were without, but they penetrated within. Uh, felt needs. Felt Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, you go back to this idea, what does it mean to me and do I like it? But unwarily, as the church tried to reach the world, many of the churches got lured into their ministry to, bring, to, to minister to those folks who were like that. And so how do we reach their felt needs? Later on, we may get to their real needs. But how do we reach people uh, that way? Um, here's Jeremiah. Jeremiah's preaching. You know, Jeremiah's preaching, telling the people, and he lives through it, but telling them if they don't repent, you're going to be going to Babylon. And then he gets to tell them, well, you're going to Babylon. And then he gets to, <laughs> they've gone to Babylon. <laughs> but uh, Jeremiah 6, verse 13 to 16. If you want to turn there, you can. Uh, and, you know, we can, we, can, we can talk about the 60s. We can talk about the 2000s. We can talk about the... Uh, 500s, we can talk, we can go wherever we want. Not a lot changes. It just looks a little different in his presentation. Look at how we start. Jeremiah 6, verse 13. From the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. You know, this week... Yesterday and today, a mega pastor resigned, a president of a conservative undergraduate Christian college, university had to resign. Uh, I saw that the Methodists had to slash their budget because for these last few years, having forsaken the Bible, they've lost half of their churches. I mean, just, to, just in two days. Um, uh, they deal falsely. Verse 14, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So we're talking about the church, at least the church of Jeremiah's day, right? Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Verse 15, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we won't walk in it. That's just old, that's old, boring, dusty. We need to be more contemporary. We need to be more exciting. And they're in Babylon, and they hang their harps in Babylon because they have no song to sing as they lament that God has abandoned them. Uh, so the, the, get tempted to leave the old paths. Our church is dying. 
We need to spice it up. We need to spruce it up. We need to get, you know, the, the, the well, you know how it can go. We haven't done that, but we had to start all over. <laughs> you know, we did it the easy way. We planted with the truth as the foundation and, and not, and, and you know, uh, tempted to leave the old past, the faith of the faith that once for all was delivered to the saints. And Judah's saying, watch it. You need to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Well, if you're our age, many of you came from there. <laughs> many of you experienced it, right? That's what, it's exactly what we're doing with the Bible Institute this year. Church history matters. You know, it, so many people live their Christian lives thinking that whatever it is that they have experienced in their Christian life is how it's always been from the day of Jesus to today. Yeah, we've we we drive cars instead of walking down the streets and things like that. Things, are, but it's this is the way it's always been. This is that's not true. <laughs> and Corey's teaching ecclesiology. Why would we teach ecclesiology? How boring can that be? Because we know what need to know what the Bible says about what church is all about, right? So we do stay alert. So we do know what the ancient paths are. So we don't wander off and get taken to Babylon. Uh, Anybody have anything? Okay. Well, you know, truth matters. I mean, we, I don't have to tell you all that if you've been here much. We do try to hang on to the truth. We do need to feel our faith, too. We don't want to run from our emotions. Uh, you know, uh, Malachi, as, Mal- as God is speaking through Malachi to those who did come back, you can't worship God without your emotions, without your feelings. But they have to be subjected to the truth of the word of God. And not just your feelings determining what's real and truthful. Um, We must contend for the faith. Uh, Compromise, we could be compromised so uh, we're seen to be loving. And I mean, you know, if if you you hold what we hold to and we hold to it faithfully, Again, we're not going to be thought well of, but the gospel is the truth, and the gospel is the only way salvation can come. And whether they know it or not, and whether they believe it or not, they, everyone needs to be saved, of course. 
And I know I'm preaching to the choir here. You know these things. But that's what Jude is dealing with. Truth is vital. He summarizes it in these two verses right here where he says, I w he's not looking for a fight. He's not looking to be contentious. And we're not called to be contentious, but we're called to contend for the faith. He says, well, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. It's just great to sit down with one another and tell me how you came to Christ. And hear about how God is so uh, marvelous in the many ways he brings people to Christ. You know, there's only one way to the Father, and it's through Christ. But everybody's story is so different, and it's the providence and the power and the uh, uh, predestinating purposes of God that he brings us in so many different ways. And Jude said, I love talking about that. Uh, but he says, although I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. Uh, yeah, uh, he said, I'd like to be writing about the glories of Christ. I'd like to be writing about the privileges that uh, we share in Christ. But, you know, it made me think about how we've seen G uh, Jesus in Luke where he casts the demon out of the one, and, and they're amazed and they're astonished at the power of God in the next little section. After they attribute that to the work of the devil, the next section, he's bringing down six woes on the religious leaders of the day. Sometimes it's joyful. Sometimes you have to do some hard things. The hard things are hard things to do. But there are times, and that's where Jude is. And he's depressed upon how it is that we t can settle in on our preferences uh, and get comfortable. Uh, we have to face being considered intolerant. You know, that's one of the things that is not tolerated is intolerance. In our culture, right? I mean, you cannot, well. But we have to be face being considerate or considered intolerant and fight for the truth. And this people, this beloved, this ch church, whether it's a, a local church or it's just uh, people, Christians at large, is beloved uh, Jude's writing, and they're under threat from the heretics. Not just threat from uh, differences of opinion, but, they're, but heretics, heresies. And he'll walk us through uh, uh, what is going on with these false teachers who've come. So it's time to stand up. It's time to be alert, he says. It, it, no complacencies uh, allowed. Uh, we have to take a stand. And And... As you think about contending for the faith, being uh, good contenders for the faith versus being sometimes contentious. Um, 
uh, we, have to, we have to agree, I think, that some things are more important than others when it comes to our faith. Don't we? I mean, um, uh, I'm, I'm talking with a young fellow pastor in, in the area about church polity. You know, uh, uh, Christians have a varying, uh, varying church politics. You can be elder rule like we are. You can be elder led, but congregation rule like uh, most. Uh, well, some are becoming like most Reformed Baptist churches are. You could be uh, congregation ruled and deacon led because they don't have elders. You, all kinds of, we have to, I mean, you know, we, we think we, we can defend our view at this point in time as, as, uh, uh, as the one that we think is right, but we have to concede that the others aren't necessarily, we, there's got to be some uh, accommodation there in these non-essential things, you know. Uh, who, who is to be baptized? Do, you, do we think if the way we th- view who is to be baptized, uh, uh, the way we view that is the only way people can be Christians? Are the Pado baptists not Christians because they baptize their infants? We think they have some misunderstandings. But is that an issue of salvation? Sometimes we think it is. We Baptists do anyway. But anyway, uh, it, it, you know, we have to, uh, there has to be some latitude. Uh, what about does Jesus come back during the millennium, before the millennium, or after the millennium? And, and yeah, we, we go, if we take a poll, we're going to, uh, yeah, no telling where we would be. And so, you know, these non-essentials, we have to identify the non-essentials. First century, it was should they eat a steak bought at the, at the meat market, right? It was next door to the pagan temple. Uh, so these, there's some conscience issues in these gray areas, but in these things that are essential to our faith, there's no compromise. We cannot compromise. Uh, it's not always simple to separate the essentials from the non-essentials, but not to believe these essentials that... A Jude is going to deal with is to be lost. What are some of them? The deity of Jesus, right? Here's, here's 1 John 4, 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And what you have to do there is work hard to know what does it mean to be the Son of God. Heretics don't mind some t- saying Jesus is the Son of God because that proves that he's not the eternal God. He, he became the son, right? Yeah, he had a beginning. But that's not what the Bible means by the son of God. When Jesus claimed to be a son of God, the religious leaders of his day knew what he was talking about, and they wanted to throw rocks at him. They wanted to kill him for blasphemy. But the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, right? Um. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh 
is from God, and every spirit that does not, does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist to say Jesus did not come in the flesh. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, of course, there's some things that are of first importance. And he talks about the gospel and resurrection. Uh, I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried and raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. You see, the scriptures are the basis. And then he appeared. After he died, he appeared to 500 people at once and a, a litany of other folks. So the emphasis is on the scripture. He died for our sins according to the scripture, on human sin. Then the cross and then the resurrection. All of it understood in this atonement, in the picture of the redemption from sin. And to reject any of these, Paul says, is to believe in vain. Your faith is useless. Jesus wasn't raised, we might as well go home. And that's why Jehovah's Witnesses can't be Christians. The deity of Christ. Uh, Mormons, the deity of Christ. Muslims, Jesus didn't die, so he wasn't raised from the dead. Of course, there's many other things that are uh, wrong with these religions, but it, so often it's the person and work of Christ that becomes a, a problem. Really, every other, every other religion of the world that the world has ever known is wrong, is lost because they don't have a gospel. And we can't teach anything else. and We can't tolerate anyone who does. Um, so what Jude kind of punctuates, the gospel is complete. Contend for the faith once for all, delivered to the saints. Uh, you know, you think about the truth of the gospel. Uh, where, where did it begin? Where did the gospel begin? Where did we get our first glimpse of the gospel? Genesis 3, right? And as soon as the fall, the gospel comes. I mean, it's seed form, right? It's, it's, there's not much understanding there, but the fact is that Satan will be defeated by the woman's offspring. And then as the gospel is openly revealed over time, Abraham uh, believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And a few hundred years later, Moses receives uh, the law that was to reveal that everyone needed to be saved in a clear fashion uh, then David foreshadowing of the, of Christ and the prophets come one after another proclaiming the warning the gospel warning against the sin against sin to avoid judgment and declaring that the Messiah was coming and 
Then they come back from Babylon and they have new life and they do the same thing they did when they left. And so the prophets preach then uh, as Malachi is the last one and Nehemiah records the last Old Test- of the Old Testament history. And then Jews, I mean Hebrews, uh, begins long ago at many times in many ways. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in the last days he's spoken to us by his son. There's the end. There's the completion. There's the last word. The last word is Jesus who became flesh. No more revelation. No more uh, is needed. No more is possible. Jesus comes. God is with us. Nothing to be added because nothing more to add. And again, Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, I, I don't mean to pick just on them, but those are the ones that we might come in contact with. The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Muslims are all guilty of heresy with when we come to the completion of the Word of God in Christ because they all have their books besides. Uh, you know, some, uh, some of our more charismatic friends have apostles who are receiving new revelation, new truth. Some of them, not all charismatics. Some Catholic Church has their tradition that stands equal with the Bible and usually kind of weighs a little more than the Bible weighs on what truth is. Uh, and so church leaders and all Christians must hold firmly to the trustworthy message. Qualification for the elders in Titus 1 Hold firmly to what you've been taught so that you may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. Paul writing to Timothy says, look, the church, Timothy, you are a pastor, yes, but the church is the pillar of truth. The church has been made the steward of the word of God. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Well, that's to Timothy as the pastor of Ephesus, but it's also to the household of God, 1 Timothy 3.15. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the buttress of truth. The apostles preached it. The apostles wrote about it, but... Each one of us, if you're a Christian, you've taught it, you've told it. Uh, some of us has, have uh, stood up and uh, taught it and preached it. Uh, you've shared it. You've attempted your best to live it before the world. Uh, you know, the scribes copied it faithfully, as faithful as hum- human hands could, and God preserved God's preserving hand and copied it faithfully word by word, uh, ensuring that what we have today is the most accurate, um, attested book of ancient times there is, and God's word, God telling us that he has preserved the truth for us. 
Linguists have translated it into common language for people. Theologians have written about it and kind of brought our confessions and our creeds into existence to help us learn what, uh, how, to, how the Bible systematically teaches the truths. And here, uh, martyrs gave their lives rather than to deny one point of it. And our task is to preserve the deposit that's been entrusted. And that's what Jude is writing to this first century church, where they're just one generation away. This is the second generation, right? I mean, the, the gospel could go if, if they don't fight and contend for it. Of course, the gates of hell will never prevail against Christ's church. We have that promise. It just was serious. And contend for the faith, what we believe. This isn't your faith that you put in, tri- in, in Christ to be saved and then it grows as you're being sanctified. This is the faith, the set of beliefs uh, once for all delivered by the, by the, to the saints by the uh, apostles. Uh, it's not your personal trust. Uh, contend for it, defend, fight. Uh, and the root there is agony, agonizing over the truth of the word of God being preserved. Be offensive, not offensive, but be on the offense. Uh, and if we don't do it, if the Christians don't do it, who will? Uh, it's a struggle for doctrinal purity, evangelistic power, and a godly lifestyle in the church. Um, I think we'll leave off right there. Verse 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. I just wanted to say the truth transforms. These false teachers had come in and promoted among the Christians in the church sensuality. Doesn't matter. Uh, Your faith in Jesus is okay. Uh, We're bringing you the truth, the truth, and... uh, That's not the truth of the gospel because the truth will transform. You can't be saved and not be changed. Knowing truth but not living it and loving it is absent from the word of God. It means actually if it doesn't change you, you don't know the truth. It makes us new people, new creatures. We've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer, Paul says. So we'll just stop right there. Anything you'd like to say? Anything you want to add, ask, comment on? Yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. Was that double predestination? I don't think so. But we'll look at it and see because you might. (laughs) Yes, we will, James. That's in my notes. Anybody else? Okay. Well, Father, we do thank you that there is a...
the faith. There is a set of uh, truths about your gospel that you have given to us, secured for us, but you've also, as you call us, to Christ, declare us to be saints in Christ. You've also given us a responsibility, Lord, to hold that faith high, to study to show ourselves faithful and approved, and then to take our stand upon that truth. Father, forgive us when we think we know exactly what the truth is, everything we believe about. We thank you that you're patient with us, that you're still transforming each one of us. But I pray that you would help us to contend for the faith, the clear gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to make it clear. Help us to live humbly before you that we represent the Christian life as you would have it to be represented. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.